Today on Inside the Ropes, a very special Masters preview as we're joined all the way from Augusta by Scott Michaud. We also head back to Perth for yet another rising star coming from the West in Hayden Hopewell. Let's go. You're listening to Inside the Ropes, Australia's must-listen-to golf show with exclusive content from both home and abroad. Subscribe through your favourite podcast app or listen at golf.org.au. G'day, everybody. Welcome to the show, Inside the Ropes, episode number 187. Not too far away from this odd Masters that we've got to look forward to in November, and Hazy's been promising for a long time to get Scott Michaud on the show, um, a man who has been covering the Masters for a long time. He was the chief golf writer for the, the Augusta Chronicle for nearly 20 years, and has been everywhere to yak to winners of the event and cover the event, and newspaper that does that better than anyone. He's going to join us on the show, along with one of the real up-and-comers of Australian golf, Hayden Hopewell. There's a load to get through. Mark Hayes is back after a week's sojourn. Hello, Hazy. Hello, Murray. Yes, it was lovely to be... Uh, I went for a uh, little jaunt through the wineries of the King Valley with the bride, so that was lovely. Uh, excellent. Hopefully you're feeling nice and refreshed and Looking forward to what's to come. Um, we got to, I mean, I'm looking forward to catching up with Scott Michaud. He's a terrific follow, and I've watched his work and read his stuff, and um, he's been in the epicentre of Augusta, you know, for a, for a long, long time as somebody with a really quite unique responsibility, I imagine, as the lead golf writer of the Chronicle, which is the, you know, this is the... Um, this is the, the newspaper of record, really, of the, of the Masters in oh. a lot of respects. This is, um, for those of you who grew up watching, you know, league, it's it's rugby league week or mm. um, inside football if you're in the AFL part of the world. The Augusta Chronicle is everything to golf that you could imagine. It's, it's sort of the only place where you could really compare, in my experience, is probably more is St. Andrews and Augusta in terms of what it means to the local media and therefore how it impacts on the community. So the Augusta Chronicle is like a uh, like a, a f- fountain of golf information yeah, for probably yeah. 48 weeks of the year. Um, <laughs> and and I, it's the best read ever. If you go there, it's just, it's golf is heaven. It's unbelievable. And I, and I met Scott, he was the, he was the power behind it. Um, there were other guys who were um, doing all the, the the hard work, I suppose, in terms of getting it together and out. But he's the he's the guy who has the story that gives you that special insight. And I really can't wait to talk to him today about that sort of stuff. So we'll we'll ask him about you know Deschambeau and the challenges that he's going to you know um, issue the golf course. And we're all fascinated by this. You know, no matter where you sit on the you know the Bryson scale, I think we're all going to be tuning in on you know the the Friday morning our time, and we're going to be. Very interested, you know, for all for all the right reasons. Really interested to see yeah. what he does. I noticed this week, um, and I'm sure you saw it as well, that that he put out his uh, a, a photo, a picture of his um, track man. He carried it 403 yards, 403.1 yards. He hit a drive that he carried, and he said, "I didn't even need the long driver." So he's he's ready. He's ready for this aerial assault on um, on this golf course that. Some of us are excited by, some of us are interested in, some of us are terrified by. It's um, I can't, I honestly can't wait to see what he does to the joint and what it does to defend itself. Well, I mean, it's not that long ago when three hundred yard drives were 
the rarity and you know we ever every time we get clates on and he harks back to the days when greg norman was the leading driver on tour and his numbers were in the high 270s around 280 um this is an astronomical leap and you know given that um, that's the, f- the flying distance, Andy, and it will run out a little way. It's um, carry. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're talking that the par fours uh, that have been the almost the defense, because the par fives have long since become irrelevant in terms of being traditional three-shotters at Augusta National. We all know that. It's part of the glory of it all, because the penalties around the greens are awesome and no worries. But the par fours have been the backbone of the scoring there. You need to play the long ones well. But if Bryson DeChambeau starts poking it around the corner on the first and has a flick in for his second shot, or maybe even runs up to the front of the green, uh, or if he carries the bunker on the left side of five, or if he drives it up to the front of the bunkers on seven and just plays a 20-meter lob shot, these these holes will be uh, fundamentally changed forever. And I'm just like every other course where this is possible, and we're only talking about the 0.1% for professional golfers. We know that. We continue to talk about that. Um, but these these tournaments, these famous tournaments, and, and Augusta National, the committee there has hung on feverishly to try and maintain the um, the tradition, the history of the tournament from um, everything right down to the you know the colour of the the uh, the wrappers on the food. They're trying to maintain history. Well, the history is going to get blown out of the water on the golf course um, if something isn't done at some point here. And Bryson DeChambeau's, I feel Andy, one way or another, going to push that push us to that point a lot quicker than we ever imagined possible. I know you've received a bit of correspondence this week, which we'll get to in a minute, and one of the letters that you received um, is about this issue. So we'll have a chat about that in a moment. Before we do, um, around the world, um, one June Lee, is he the Australian that jumps off the page at us this week? There's been some really good results and performances around the world this week, but that's the, that's the headline stealer, isn't it? Yeah, there's two, Andy, I reckon. Um, one's the obvious one, which is Wan Jun Lee, who, um, the Sydney pro who's uh, won for the second time in 18 months on the Korean tour. Um, did it really well in a, in a weather-shortened tournament. Um, just played some amazing golf on the last day under the gun with a couple of good players chasing him. So really impressive there from Wan Jun Lee. I think he's got the feel for it. I didn't realise, Andy, that he was still a rookie technically on the Korean tour because he's largely plays in Japan, um, but he did enough to get his status up to play enough tournaments to become qualified as a rookie, and he's already now won the Rookie of the Year on the, the Korean Tour, which is funny for a bloke <laughs> who turned 35 last week, but anyway, yes. yep. um, any honour is a good honour. Uh, but I think actually the, the best performance and definitely the quirkiest one of the week from a, from a news perspective is that of Brad Kennedy, a friend of the show who's been oh, on several yes. times. I just think what he did... Uh, in the Zozo Championship on the US Tour is absolutely phenomenal. Are you aware of all the, I'm sure you are, of, of, of the limited amount of practice he'd put in? Well, I can't imagine, not, not specifically, but I can't imagine he'd played much golf before he got over there. He, he, he wouldn't have had much opportunity to play anywhere. Well, we all know that he did so well because we were talking to him at the end of last year about his um, chances of winning the Order of Merit on the Japanese Tour, and he got mm. really close, to be honest, which would be an unbelievable achievement in itself. But then to think that he was in his mid-40s and doing it, mid to late 40s, I think he's 46 or 47, um, went on to win the New Zealand Open in March. The world caves in not long before he's had to head back to Japan for what probably his last go around. Didn't go to Japan, didn't pick up a stick, didn't practice. Gets a chance to play the Zozo Championship in the US, didn't practice. 
rolls over there without having hit a ball. And for all intents and purposes, halfway through the third round, he's still a winning chance. You know, he's yeah. up in the top yeah. top order of that leaderboard, and that's a legitimate tournament in terms of the field. Uh, he faded and finished about 40th, but wow, oh man, that is unbelievable. And the and the ceiling thing on that, Andy, for those, because remember, I'm not sure if you remember, but he, we had him on talking about his um, little putting aids uh, that he has to, to help people putt better. Yeah. John Rahm approached him after the tournament and said he needs some putting <laughs> advice from him. How about that? That's pretty good. There's a, there, that's a nice little... Make sure you take your business cards with you if that sort of stuff's going to be happening because oh. when you stop playing for dough, you might be able to turn that stuff into a very nice little uh, lucrative venture. It just, it just shows to me, Andy, that, and you know, we'll talk, we might talk about Aaron Pike, for example, in a minute mm. as well, um, how close the guys and girls on the Australian scene are to being able to be competitive on that, you know, that next tier if they get their chance. We've talked about it a lot for the kids trying to make their breakthroughs, the ruffles and colettas of the world. But you know, Brad Kennedy's a, for all intents and purposes, he's not he's not a grizzly bloke, but he's a grizzled veteran. Um, just hasn't had a chance at that level and get to get the exposure. And he gets his one shot, makes an unbelievable fist of it. You know, you think about that, and it would it it would do. It would never happen because it'll be denying a spot in the field to half a dozen, pick a number, whatever number you want, if you think there's any merit to the idea that I'm about to fly, not having ever thought about it before. But um, it'll never happen because, you know, half a dozen players over there who are tour holders, ticket holders on the tour, would be denied a spot in the field. But it would be lovely if 20 times a year on the PGA Tour... Half a dozen players from non-tour players from around the world, by virtue of things they've done in their own corner of the world, were invited to play. Hey, listen, we saw what you did in the Northern Territory PGA Championship, Aaron Pike. Uh, in three weeks' time, you know, we're going to be playing at the Blah Blah Open in, you know, somewhere in Illinois or wherever it might be. If you'd like to come over, we've got one of our, you know, reserved exempt spots for international players, whatever you want to call it. Wouldn't it be great if that was part of... If they're not going to take the PGA Tour to the rest of the world, and if they're not going to globalise the game under WGC-type banners, wouldn't it be nice if, you know, what is already a very international tour, don't get me wrong, but wouldn't it be nice if some people did get the opportunity, kind of out of the blue, who aren't members of the tour, um, to play in a number of those events? It would add a bit of interest and flavour to the whole thing, that's for sure. I definitely would, and I'd like to congratulate you on your new career working for OPSM selling rose-coloured glasses, Andy. Yeah, of course. Uh, I, felt, I, knew, uh, I knew what I was saying, Scott. You know, <laughs> I, just, I think it's a great idea, but the chances of that ever happening are no, we'll you know, like me, no. me winning Miss Universe, Andy. So, um, it's, Well, you're a very handsome man, but that man being the operative word, so you probably got no chance. <laughs> well, I just decided uh, you know, undergo something pretty <laughs> radical, but I don't think you likely to do that either to be honest so <laughs> no, probably not but um, probably not i just you know it is it just shows that the the depth um particularly in the men's game i think yeah, around yeah, the yeah. world is yep is um is extraordinary and you know to be to be a good golfer is anything but easy but to be a great golfer is just next level um well, the amount of people nipping at your heels is phenomenal yeah, and just being able to get a start on some of those big tours is a challenge. And you mentioned Aaron Pike, he beat Michael Sim in a playoff, and, and here it is. I mean, we and we've talked about, you know, Michael Sim's journey through the game and where he might be able to get it back to. 
it wasn't that long ago that Michael Sim was, you know, one of the was the Justin Thomas of American golf, winning everything on the secondary tour, contending in a U.S. Open, uh, early twenties, worlds at it, world golfing worlds at his feet. Uh, we know he's had some back issues and maybe had some challenges with the love for the game, but he's still playing. He's still playing at a high level. Um, this this is in our own backyard and in a tournament, you know, like like the Northern Territory PGA. We're still getting world class play, and I'm happy to say that some of the guys who teed it up there are, you know, at in some view through that prism, they are they're, they're capable of being world class players. Maybe not top twenty, top thirty, top forty at that level, but they can on any given week, on their given week, they can contend and hold their own against you know the some of the best players on the planet. Yeah, and uh, we range from the talented and upcoming amateurs. Um, hmm. uh, Jed Morgan was prominent for quite a while. I really want to give a shout out to um, to Jake Hughes, who's yep. uh, if, I think he won the Northern Territory Open, and uh, you know from a, another kid from the NT, just phenomenal. Um, but yeah, you're right, Dean Lawson, who's been a European yep. Tour player, and um, you talked about Simi and Aaron Pike's going back to the or not back. He's going to take his opportunity courtesy of the Australian Open last year to go and play at the Open Championship when it gets uh, back up and running at Royal St. George's next year. It's phenomenal to see such great golf and golfers being uh, in places like normally the Northern Territory PGA, you know, is a blip on the radar really, unfortunately, because it's a good tournament. But, you know, for for, um, Palmerston, he's from Palmerston, Pikey, uh, and he had Simi up there as one of his best mates. I think they were staying together. Uh, with the Pike family all week, which is fantastic. Um, and I also want to mention, Andy, um, not only the, you know, the fantastic uh, job that Aaron Pike did there, but he was, he was basically the, the spokesperson, I suppose, in spruiking the tournament for so many others around the place. And I think I understand that he, he, he ran a Calcutta with Stephen Jeffress, like a, like a veteran auctioneer during the week, which was fantastic. And it raised a huge amount of money. Uh, up there in the territory, which is fantastic. He's just a real character, um, Pikey. And um, I also want to make mention while we're at it of another player who wasn't in the mix for winning, but I'm told that she did an amazing, amazing job of making people realise how good she is. Is Karis Davidson, another friend of the show here, who um, bombed in a lot of putts, particularly on day two, and playing off the men's tees was. You know, she was right up there for quite a while, um, despite obviously the disadvantages of the distance. So, um, awesome tournament, really. Yeah, um, no, no. And, you know, all, full credit to everyone up there at Palmerston. And um, I know that was stifling heat. The humidity was off the charts. So, um, to put on such a good show was fantastic. Here, here. Um, so, just tidying up around the world. Cam Smith, a really good result over on the PJ Tour. Uh, Brad Kennedy, the highlight story for us. But Cam Smith tied fourth, 19 under, a couple of shots behind Cantlay and Rahm, who were one, two. The LPGA Tour, Catherine Kirk, she's de- defying the youngsters that are, you know, bombarding uh, women's golf around the place. Helen McDonald wins it, but Kirky tied sixth. Great to see Suo, uh, top 20, tied 13th. Hannah Green, likewise, tied 17. Minji made the cut, but was a long way back. But you've got the veteran, you know, Kirk, and uh, we're all invested in Suo. We want her to be able to kind of find her range and feet, and she can, and we know she's capable, and Hannah Green continuing to do what she does. Mav Ancliffe <clears throat> over in Europe, the only Australian to make the cut. It wasn't a great weekend for the boys over there. Not too many teed it up. Ross McGowan won his first tournament for 11 years, which 
the uh, the journeyman um, from England. So uh, that's probably pretty noteworthy. But um, that just about does it from around the world, unless you've got something else you want to add to any of that. No, I, no, I haven't. I yep. probably should have mentioned Nathan Barbieri in my run. He was the, the other one, yeah, there at Northern yeah. Territory, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Um, no, that's a pretty good enough run up. Andy, so, I, I sort of did want to mention to you about the, you know, some of the correspondence that we've had. Yeah, yep, good. Go do it. Um, you've had a letter. You've had a letter exchange with somebody about a theme that we we dog with a bit of a dog with a bone on this show. Yeah, and we'll we'll get to ask Scott Michelle a little bit about this and how Augusta might tackle. The problem um but you and i have discussed and all the other people we have co-hosting the show through the year here in the last couple of years um talk about um you know should the governing bodies enforce regulations um to change the way the game's being played and we've already mentioned stuff about bryson dechambeau and what he is doing and threatens to do um and i had a letter a fantastic letter and a great exchange with on email with a, a listener um joe um, and he, he's con- he was slightly concerned that we confuse um, the balance between pro golfers and the courses they play on and also whether those regulations of the governing bodies prevent golf from becoming a contest of athleticism. Um, and I was sort of at pains to, to point out to him that um, I don't think either of us are um, against any increase in athletic endeavours or pursuits. I, I, you know, you want to see golf become as athletic as any sport you don't want it to be perceived as you know something that, that you can look like craig stadler and 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 be competitive at these days it's it's come a long way no offense to the walrus and his family andy <laughs> <laughs> um but also there was a question that um that joe posed and i'd be really interested to get your thoughts on this is will using a reduced flight golf ball have any influence on the premium that is currently placed on power in professional golf because I think well, when you, while you consider your answer, Andy, Joe's point was that maybe, um, you know, that by just doing that, there's still going to be an emphasis on, on power. Of course. Um, yeah. it's, it'll just be diminished in proportion um, yep. across the field and it'll still, it'll still leave the big hitters with the advantage. I, I agree with that. What, so what I want to be able, by reducing the distance the ball can travel, what I want to see happen is bring... I want it to bring options back into the game. I want the big hitter, if there's a um, you know, 290-yard carry over a bunker um, that, that makes the second shot in easier, I want that to still be an option for a power hitter. But I don't want him to be – or her – I don't want them to be able to look another 15 degrees to the left and be able to hit it straight over the forest um, and not even look at the bunker. I want, that, I want the players all to stand on the tee and go, do I hit a two-iron short? Do I hit a three-wood there? Do I hit a driver there? Instead, what I fear is likely to happen, as everybody plays catch-up, is that no one's going to be thinking about hitting two-iron, three-wood driver. They're all just going to be hitting driver because the courses are going to be um, defenceless. That That's the fear that... And then everybody just starts playing the same golf and 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 tactics and strategy and options and differences, um, which we've all seen always um, in the game of golf that you and I have grown up watching, um, they don't exist anymore. So I want that to come back. And if putting a cap on how far the most powerful hitters can hit the golf ball, if that is what we can find a way of achieving by reducing the distance the ball can travel, um, then 
that's what I'm all about. So I, I, I still think there has to be um, reward for those who can hit it a long way and have you know more athletic power and more athletic gifts than those who don't. But I don't want those who don't have that to be rendered redundant. I don't want it to be a pure power game. So that that's where I'm at. Was it Joe who wrote you the letter? Joe, yeah. Yeah, that's where I'm at with that, Joe. I don't know whether um, that answers the question, but um, and I'm intrigued to know how the technology of the um, distance-controlled ball would work. I'm, 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 I'm fascinated to know more about that. Um, but but I think if, if you've got a ball that doesn't go, doesn't fly 403 yards, you know, if... if um, if that if the if the furthest that a um, you know, the most powerful hitter can hit it is I don't know it flies a hundred yards less than that, then we're back to sort of where we want the game to be a little bit, and the courses that we've grown up loving aren't obsolete. So hmm. I think I think that's where I find myself sitting. I'm, I'm not sure I've answered his question. I hope I've got somewhere near it. Uh, yeah, I think I think that's a reasonable. Um... What do you think? Response, Andy. I just, I, yeah, I, I, I think that you know we we need to keep pushing athleticism, and we need to keep making sure that um, golf is a, is seen as a, a an option for um, people who want to be athletic in their sport. Um, so that's that's one thing. But I do, I agree, and and around the the just propensity to grab your driver and smash it, you could make a strong case right now that the big hitters of the world, the you know Kepka, Johnson. Um, Thomas, all these guys um, could have a driver and then realistically not have another club in their bag. Mm. Or maybe they mm. occasionally need a three wood, but maybe they could go from driver almost straight up to six iron. They could go, they could play with eight or nine clubs and five of them would be wedges of varying um, degrees of loft. And I, I don't think that's how golf was intended to be played. And um, to me, I don't want to rob anyone of their athleticism and the power uh, sorry, the advantage that their power might give them, but I do think it's um, incumbent on the the authorities of world golf to make sure that the golf courses are preserved um, in, in the way they're meant to be played. So maybe yeah. we can ask um, Scott Michelle about that, Andy, and just see what he thinks whether Augusta National might have the the teeth to have a crack at that in the in the future. Yeah, he he. So so we could you know, we could bang on about we could use that as a lever back into the conversation that we've had in the past, but. If Joe, if that doesn't, if that answer sort of doesn't come close to satisfying you, please let Hazy know, and um, and we'll continue to have a chat. You also received an email about the um, about the Northern Territory PGA, didn't you? That that caught your attention. I did. That, I saw. I, I covered that off there. I just it was the a gentleman who wanted to make sure that um, uh, you know that we gave it the juice that it deserved. And I hope we did, and I used some of the information that he sent us there in that response, Andy. So okay. yeah, I didn't good. know about the Calcutta. That's where I got that information from. But um, you know, I, I'm I'm just thrilled to see that. I love I love to see golf reaching all parts of Australia, um, and that you know so many of the pros were able to get up there and put on a great show, uh, with the amateurs. It was, it was fantastic, and Karis Davidson for that matter. Yeah, here, here. Um, let's get to a break. Scott Michaud is going to join us on the other side of this. Hayden Hope, while not too far away as well, this rising young star of Australian golf. You're listening to Inside the Ropes. Let's go back Inside the Ropes with Golf Australia. Welcome back to the show. You've been promising this for a while, Hazy. Anybody who loves their golf and consumes golf out of the States and on various social media platforms 
or via the WWW follows the, contribute, the contributions of outstanding sports writers, particularly golf writers over in the States, knows the name Scott Michaud, and you've been telling us for a while that you'd uh, get him on the show, particularly in the lead-up to this odd Masters that we're preparing ourselves for, and I'm delighted to say that um, the long-time Augusta Chronicle sports writer, now uh, freelance sports writer over there in the States, has been good enough to join us on the show with the Masters just around the corner. Scott Michaud, thanks for joining us on Inside the Ropes. Thank you for having me, guys. Tell us, give us a sense over there um, as to the, the um, anticipation levels, excitement levels, and the unique nature of the anticipation of, um, of this November Masters that we've got to look forward to? I won't say that this is the most anticipated Masters we've ever had because there have been several uh, in recent years that, that everyone has been looking forward to for various reasons based on the competition coming into it. But I think people are looking forward to this Masters uh, as much as anything else, especially as much as any other sporting event, because it is going to be absolutely unique. They want to see the golf course in, in November, and it really is a such a big-time event to be having at this time of year when usually not much else is going on uh, that's of, of this kind of level of importance. I think really people are excited about this Masters. So, Scott, there's so many different layers to come at it. I'll, I'll go to the, um, to the one that's fascinating me as much as any. We could probably end up speaking about this for half an hour, I suspect. How much are people looking forward to, um, interested in, you can insert your own terminology for it, but um, in, in what Bryson DeChambeau can do to, to this layout? It's hard to understate how, how fascinated and almost obsessed people are with Bryson uh, DeChambeau, especially after what he did at Wingfoot. I, I would count myself among the number of people who thought there was no chance that he had uh, to win on a golf course like Wingfoot, playing the style of golf that he has decided to play. And then he went ahead and not only won it, he dominated, especially on that Sunday with a, a relatively flawless round. So now you take him to a golf course like Augusta National, where somebody could truly overpower the golf course with the kind of skills that he's uh, produced there. Uh, and I think people are, are, are wondering whether or not if he wins it in a fashion like he did at Wingfoot, it could be sort of a sea change uh, in, in, in making the governing bodies address equipment and, and so, everything like that because there's a threat. He's a threat to Augusta National. He's a threat to places like St. Andrews. So I think it's, I think it's going to be very fascinating to see what he can do. So, Scott, we've seen for years holes like the fifth in particular um, maybe the 11th uh, and a handful of others be the sort of spine of the course in terms of its defense against low scoring. But if he starts ripping drivers over that bunker on the on the fifth and up into sand wedge territory for his second shot, the, the course is basically going to play like a par 68, maybe even less. Um, so if he gets going, we, we could see some, you know, off the chart score here. How far back, I mean, this is, taking about 16 questions into one here, but how far can the Augusta National Committee go in defending the course until some action is required in your estimation? Well, they have room to, to make defences because they have money and they have the land. They bought 
pretty much the perimeter of the golf course. So they, they really do have room to do something, but I don't think they want to keep doing that. That's not what they would uh, desire to do. They would like the course to be able to be played uh, the way it was designed to be played and the way people played it for, for decades. And, and now, uh, you know, they can go back on 13. They can go back 75 yards on 13 if they want to. Does that make it a better hole? No, it doesn't. Are they doing that to defend against one or two people? Maybe. Uh, but I hope I hope it doesn't come to that. Uh, there's places where they could strategically plant trees. Uh, they could shift tee boxes a little bit left or right uh, to put hazards or trees or things in their way. Uh, those are the kind of things, the most subtle changes that I think Augusta is willing to do uh, and probably will do, especially in the short term, if players are uh, continuing to hit shorter and shorter irons into the greens. And that takes away the whole defense of the golf course. So do we see the control ball that we've discussed for a long time at Augusta being arguably the only institution that has the um, the wherewithal to bring something like that in and yet still have a big tournament? We could see that one day. I, again, you know, with Fred Ridley being a former USGA uh, you know, chairman, I don't think he's the one who wants to, to go down that route. But I, I could see Augusta doing that if things don't get handled by the RNA and the USGA. Scott, have you got a sense for, um, you know, it's, it's unusual, there's, you know, two and a half hours daylight less this time of the year, and, you know, the environmental conditions are, are obviously different at this time of the year. Have you got a sense for um, the personality of the golf course, putting DeChambeau to one side, you know, roll out, um, you know, the heaviness of the air, the, the swiftness of the greens? Have, have you got a sense for how Augusta National will play at this time of the year? I think the operative word is going to be it's, it's, it's going to play longer. Now, part of that is because the overseeded rye fairways may be a little bit lusher than they are because they're so new. They're young. They haven't had a chance to sort of mature and, and be refined the way they'd like to have it in April. Uh, the greens are going to play almost identical, I would think. Uh, to to what they play in April, they're bent grass. They don't change. They have they keep them and maintain them all through the summer when the club is closed. Uh, everybody who's played in the early season says the greens are spectacular. Uh, Any time of year that you play it, so that's not going to be a difference. But I don't think the ball is going to go as far. The air is going to be cooler, uh, especially in the mornings. And and I just think the course is going to play long. Uh, and I think that's something that players will have to adjust to. And the winds are also a little bit different uh, in November as opposed to April. They come from different directions often. Uh, and if you get that wind that's in your face on the first tee, uh, which is the most unfavorable unfavorable wind on the golf course, the one that Jim Furyk and those guys who don't hit it a long way hate, well, then it's going to be even longer. Mm. So I don't know about you, and Hazy and I have been having this conversation for a while this year, Scott, since the resumption of play in this COVID era, but a lot of the golf that we're watching, you know, back here in Australia coming back, particularly from the States without galleries, has been, it hasn't been, it's been a bit flat, the, the viewing experience hasn't had the atmosphere and, 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 that's, and that's obvious. Without patrons at Augusta, have you got a sense for? And you'll be there on the ground, so it might be a bit different for you to assess this. But have you got a have you got a sense for how different the TV product will be for those of us all around the world and, and other parts of America who are going to be consuming this, you know, on the on the television? 
Well, I think there are two things that are very different uh, about uh, that are going to make Augusta even more unique and in some ways more flat than every other event that you've seen. We are used to and accustomed to the roars that echo through those trees. Uh, you know, Hayes has been there. He knows exactly what I'm talking about. All day long, you hear that sound buzzing through the trees. You know, no matter where you are on the golf course, you hear birdies and eagles and those roars coming from everywhere else. That's not going to be present at all. And that's really going to be sort of disorienting for the players. But the thing that's kind of cool about it, and I think you may have seen this at Wingfoot uh, for the U.S. Open, was yet there won't be any of the infrastructure in the way. You're going to see the golf course in a very different uh, way than you're accustomed to. And that, in some ways, is cool. But that noise, that soundtrack of Augusta not being there, I mean, that makes all the difference in the world, I think. And I think that will be uh, very disappointing without all that noise. Oh, I have to say, I have to say, Andy, the first time I went there, uh, Phil got on a bit of a run on, on, I think it was Friday, and you could actually, even not being nearby him, anywhere nearby him, you could be a kilometre away, literally, and you could sense that, oh yeah, that was a that was a roar on thirteen where he just made an eagle. That was a yeah. that was a roar on sixteen when it echoes up in the trees. I, I, I very similar to Scott. I can't imagine what that's going to be like without it. the roar just coming up from the bottom of the valley. It's just going to be surreal, but. Uh, Scott, does it actually, is it going to look the same when we watch it on TV? Is it going to look green or are we not going to see the, the dogwoods and the azaleas and everything? What, what are we actually going to see? Well, you certainly won't, you certainly won't see dogwoods and azaleas. Uh, it'll be as green as you've ever seen it. And you're going to have, you're going to have a different kind of color. You're going to have the autumn uh, leaves. Uh, I, I've, I've been told that they might have even planted a few more deciduous trees here and there in the woods so that there will be more color than usual. The pines obviously don't change. They stay green. But uh, I can imagine you're going to see a very interesting colored golf course. It just won't be pastel pinks and purples. Uh, it'll be it'll be more autumn uh, colors. So for those of, you, uh, of our listeners uh, who don't follow Scott, it's one of the best ways of keeping in touch with uh, what's going on at Augusta National. We really appreciate it, Scott. Um, you, you've been doing a magnificent countdown, but today there was some, and we were recording this on Wednesday, our time, Tuesday night, your time, there was some um, some big announcements about how it's going to unfold this year, um, particularly, in, as strangely enough, as it pertains to college football. Yeah. <laughs> it is. That was a very big news release Augusta put out today. Uh, you know, the big news that people will notice is there won't be a par three contest this year on Wednesday that won't be televised uh, and the players are going to be going off both tees in the morning and afternoon wave uh, so some guys are going to have to get up early on Thursday and Friday morning when it's pretty cool uh, and play 10, 11, 12 and 13 right off the bat which I think is going to be unusual but you're right about the college football ESPN has been a broadcast partner uh, with Augusta National for a few years. They've done the Par 3 tournament and the first and second rounds over here in the States. And with, by losing the Par 3 tournament, they've gained a place where they can have their college game day football pregame show, which is a really big deal over here. It travels around the country, to, usually to the best uh, college town where the game is going to take place that week. Uh, but this year they're going to be it on the, set up on the Par 3 course 
at Augusta National uh, to do their live broadcast on Saturday morning before uh, play starts. It'll be from 9 to noon on the East Coast time in, in the U.S., uh, which will be pretty much when the players start playing, there's going to be a television show going on uh, on the other side of the property. And I think people are, are as excited about that uh, as anything. But the news that came out today that most people responded to was the fact they're going to have this online master's digital way of setting up your own favorite uh, group so that you can follow every shot of every player that you like and care about. So for you guys, you can put all the Australians on a favorites uh, group for yourselves and watch every shot that they hit. So that is, I mean, that is fantastic. That that the, the and I've I've got to say, I don't know what your view about this, Scott is. I'm sure you've travelled around America and you know you've seen the way other tournaments and other major championships try and kind of amp up their coverage of their own event. But and we're not here to sort of be a PR arm for Augusta National, but the way they do set up their their digital stuff, their online stuff, the the Masters.org website. Um, the style of it, um, you know, the graphics within it, it's pretty impressive. I mean, this, this, the, the, their, their willingness to, um, you know, kind of lead the way and, and provide the best of all of that, it's, um, it's kind of credit to them that they, they continue to churn out a product that, that's as good as you're going to get to see anywhere else. It is. It's, it's really rather amazing when they last year went to every single shot of every single player uh, being available on their digital format, I thought that was astonishing. And the PGA Tour finally followed suit, or they were going to during the Players' Championship this year before it got canceled. But that is really something that has been missing in golf coverage for so long. Every complaint that you see on every broadcast is that they show the same people over and yeah. over and over again, including some heavyweight names that get shown even if they're not in contention. Now you can watch whoever you'd like and that's really the beauty of it. Uh, you know, Augusta still has a different television window than everybody else. They have a smaller window. They don't show as many shots on television, even though they don't have commercials like everyone else does. But now you can still watch any player you want to, no matter how small they are or how relevant they are to the leaderboard. And I think that's really kind of one of the special aspects of it. I was going to ask you, Scott, we've been talking about the Masters and stuff, but I want to actually talk a little bit about you. Um, for those of you who know Scott through Twitter, etc., but don't realise what he's done, um, he was the sort of chief sports reporter, golf reporter, everything for the Augusta Chronicle, um, which gave him a unique uh, chance to do something that I think is... And don't get me wrong, I think you earned it. I'm not potting you for this, Scott, by any means. But one of the most, um, I guess, sought-after roles in sports journalism, I would have thought, Andy, is that every year the winner um, of the Masters was visited by Scott Michaud um, around the world, wherever that may be. So that's taken him to some amazing places, including Australia, uh, which I know it was very. It was a warm, warm spot for you. Scott, in 2013 when you got to visit Adam Scott. But can you tell the listeners a bit about some of the other places you've been with the other international winners in particular? That really was one of my favorite things to do for 18 years with the Augusta Chronicle was, was travel to, to interview the defending champion to try to do what we considered the definitive package 
on that player. Uh, sometimes you had to do repeat stories on Tiger and Phil and guys like that, and it got uh, to be a challenge to try to get them again and do something unique on them. But the best stories were the ones like going down to Australia for Adam Scott, going to Argentina to get Angel Cabrera, going to South Africa for Charles Schwartzel, uh, you know, going to Canada for Mike Weir, going to Iowa uh, and spending five days in Cedar Rapids, uh, Iowa for, for Zach Johnson. Those were, those were such great experiences. Uh, my favorite two, uh, other than Australia, uh, were the one, other ones in the Southern Hemisphere in Argentina and South Africa. Not, not only because they were such unique places to go visit, but because the players really appreciated us coming and doing that story. They gave us a certain, uh, kind of access and, and really appreciated us being there and, and wanted to show off where they were from. And, and so I got, I spent 11 consecutive hours with Charles Schwarzel uh, in South Africa. He took us to his farm where he grew up, the club where he started playing golf, his new brand new home on a Gary Player golf course. He took us up in his plane. He brought his helicopter uh, that he'd just gotten a license for to show off. He cooked us dinner. <laughs> it, it really was unbelievable. But at the end of one day, I was like, I don't know what else I can ask you, Charles. Uh, I, I'm supposed to be here for five days, and I'm done uh, in one. Uh, and, and those kind of things were, were really extraordinary and, and it's something that I, I, I'll never forget. So, Scott, there's a, so do, you get a, do you get a sense for how big um, the green jacket is? Do you get a sense for how big this event is? Do you get a bigger sense for all of that when you do go to these other countries and you see what it means to people in the orbit of, of some of those players that you've just mentioned? I think the place that uh, where I got the biggest sense of that was down in Australia. Uh, there had been so much heartbreak for so long, and it really was the last trophy uh, of any global significance that no Australian had ever won. And so when Adam Scott took that down there, and he waited for months after winning the Masters before he went down for the whole Australian swing that year, uh, and when he and when he brought that out at the PGA uh, over up on the Gold Coast, uh, people lined up and just flocked just to see him wearing that thing. It was unbelievable. I remember one man who was standing about ten feet away, and Adam was trying to invite him to come closer to talk to him. And I I tried to interview him, and he said I just wanted to look at that thing. That's all I wanted to. Do. I don't even want to get any closer to it. I just wanted to see it. Uh, and, and I think that, that green jacket, uh, it, it has a language of its own. Uh, I remember when they, they started the Asian Amateur Championship uh, years ago, and it's the first time that any members had traveled away from Augusta National wearing that green jacket. And I asked Billy Payne if they were going to do that, and he admitted that, yes, they were, because the, the green jacket transcended all languages, and anybody in Asia uh, could see that and understand what it meant. So, so it really is. It, and especially in Australia, it was really special to see the relationship that fans had with it, not just the players. Great point, Scott. I, 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 you may not be able to answer this, and you, if you can't, then that's totally fine. But I wanted to ask you. You know, we, we all revere Augusta National. We love the Masters, but there's also some question marks about you know the the impact they have in the game or the slowness they've had over the years to. Uh, be more inclusive, etc. 
Um, how do you perceive personally um, the role they play? Is it a, is it essentially a good one? Is it a policeman's role against the rest of the the golfing world? How how do you see it, and is it a positive for the sport? Well, there have certainly been issues in the past uh, that everyone has had with Augusta National's inclusion, and I think that they have they genuinely tried to address those through the years. And as every year advances they seem to try harder and harder to grow the game through their influence rather than be exclusive uh, with it. And I, and I believe that has really been the case uh, in the last decade since the whole Martha Burke uh, situation came up with their female membership. Uh, and, and since they finally opened the doors to, to women members and now they're starting to travel around the world to try to get more amateur opportunities to grow the game in these other countries. I really do think they they see themselves uh, as as an institution that can help build golf up in the world rather than keep people out. Yes, there are issues with the club. There's a lot of there's an authoritarian impulse uh, there that that none of us like uh, in some ways, but in other ways, I think they've been very generous. Uh, in trying to to be inclusive with the game and creating that drive, chip, and putt, or helping create that and bringing it to Augusta every year and now creating this women's amateur championship that they bring every year and and building the Masters Week into something more than just the Masters uh, is something that they're trying to give back. So I give them credit for growing uh, beyond their roots. Scott, will anyone be wearing a hoodie? Oh, such a good question. We've been discussing that at nauseum, it seems like, for the last couple of weeks. I hope that Terrell Hatton, of all people, would, would have the guts to wear one out there. Uh, we'll see. Uh, if they've gotten a memo that says they can't, we won't see one because nobody defies Augusta National. But if they haven't gotten a memo, I would love to see somebody uh, put one on right there. I think they're cool. <laughs> so it's just crazy that we're spending globally we're spending as much time as we are talking about hoodies and all sorts of stuff. Hey, I've got one last one from a TV perspective for you. I noticed uh, a couple of weeks ago that the PGA Tour allowed in-play um, gambling and betting odds to be displayed. I'm not sure whether that was a one-off or whether this is going to be um, par for the course for, for PGA Tour coverage going forward, but... Will Augusta allow that sort of stuff? Can you ever see a day when something like that could become part of the broadcast sanctioned by Augusta National? I think the PGA Tour is embracing uh, the opportunity uh, to get involved with the online uh, and the and the, the you know the the betting thing, the live betting market. Yep. They is, that is something that they will do. I can't ever see that being done with the Masters. I just don't believe that they would ever do that. Just like I'm not sure that we'll, you know, you're ever going to see a blimp uh, having aerial photography above Augusta National. You're not probably not going to see shot tracers and things like that from Augusta National. Uh, you know, they they want it to look classic uh, the way it has always looked. That's part of their charm, uh, and I just cannot believe that they will allow uh, that kind of market to be displayed on their air. And one last one from me, Scott. Um, I guess you're, you're sympathetic to um, to our plight down here for a lack of global tournaments. 
Um, do you foresee a time when there is uh, a legitimate WGC swing that might take in Australia or South Africa, for example, and and uh, have golf reach every corner of the globe, truly? I really hope that is the case. And I think that it's possible that this pandemic could be driving the, the golf tours around the world into a more cooperative environment. At least I hope that's the case. I would love to see the PGA Tour uh, adopt one of those great Australian tournaments during that time of year uh, and try to make that into a WGC event that brings in the European Tour, the PGA Tour, and all the global tours uh, into one thing that, that, you know, you see guys like Tiger Woods uh, who absolutely love those sandbelt courses. And the way he played in the uh, President's Cup last year just shows, uh, you know, how great those courses are and how great fun it is to see the best players in the world trying to play them. And I'm thinking that, that before long, there will be something that, that embraces the Australian uh, market, especially in that time of year when the PGA Tour is really not exactly uh, throwing its best stuff out there. It'd be great to see. I, I always, just before we do let you go, I've always got one more. Of all of the moments, of all of the great Augusta moments, have you got one that sits above them all, Scott? That's that's always the, the hard question because uh, I hate to admit it, but I did not even watch the 1986 Masters because I was a senior in college and I was on spring break and I was doing other things. Uh, so that's the one that everybody likes to pick. Uh, but but I think, <laughs> you know, I've been there for every one of Tiger's wins, and they were all special uh, from the first one to last year. Uh, but one that is uh, uh, a Masters that's always stood out to me was actually the one that Charles Schwartzel uh, won because I've never seen that many players with a chance to win on Sunday. I think eight players had the lead at some point during that Sunday round, including Tiger early in the day. Uh, when he eagled the eighth hole. And, and it was such a dramatic Masters with so many big-name guys. It was, you know, if, if Charles had been a bigger-name player, we would be talking about that with the same reverence we talk about 1986 because that was special not just because of Jack, but because of the caliber of players that competed against him and were contending that day. And, and I, think, I think, you know, that 2011 Masters gets overlooked because Charles Schwartzel didn't go on to become a world leader after winning it. It still sticks in the craw of a lot of Australian golf fans. No um, uh, no ill will towards the South African, but we, we thought it was going to be ours that year. Thankfully, we didn't have to wait for it too much longer. Hey, um, Scott, there's a, we, we've only just scratched the surface. There's a million other things we could talk to you about. Uh, you've got a couple of very big weeks over there in America. There's a little election that's just around the corner, and the Masters not too uh, far after that. Good luck with it all, mate. We appreciate you joining us on the show. Thanks for being part of it. Thanks for having me. Anytime you guys want, just give me a call. Scott Michaud, uh, for a long, long time, the chronicler of the Masters as part of the Augusta Chronicle, still one of the great golf riders around the world, joining us here on Inside the Ropes. Um, from a man who's been doing it for a long time and seen it all, to a young fellow who's on the rise, Hayden Hopewell, going to join us on the other side of the break. Let's go back Inside the Ropes with Golf Australia. 
Welcome back to the show. Great to have Scott Michaud on the show. A lot of shows going on and hopefully uh, in a couple of years' time he might be writing about a young bloke at a WA by the name of Hayden Hopewell who is uh, raising eyebrows around Australian golf, has been doing so for a couple of years now. It was captured our attention um, at the Australian Open last time we were all there and has gone on some sort of a run since then, Hazy, and uh, the young amateur out of the West has been good enough to join us on the show. Hayden, thanks for joining us on the program, mate. Yeah, no worries, guys. Thanks for having me. You must be um, in a difficult year for all of us. You must be, if, if, if on top of the world's a bit of a reach at the moment, you must be feeling pretty good about your game and, and the way it's evolving. Um, obviously, the WA Open a couple of weeks ago was a, a great result for you, but you, you do look like you're in a sweet little run of form at the moment. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's just been a good time through COVID, um, just to grind on my game, and it, uh, it seems to be paying off quite nicely when a tournament pops up, so I'm absolutely over the moon um, that I got a chance to play the double open and then end up winning it, um, and especially with my granddad being there. Um, it was just a, a special special moment, special day. Um, I'm, still, I'm still over the moon um, to this day. Did he have something... Um, to do with you falling in love with the game of golf? Uh, yeah. Um, so, Grandad's son um, is my dad. So, he's a, a keen golfer. Um, he played a lot of golf through his life. And, and Grandad um, took up golf when he was 40. So, he was, he was a, a keen golfer as well. What did it feel like to win... You know, at a really early stage in your golfing journey, Hayden, you probably feel like you've been at it for ages now, but, you know, the world's yep. and, the, and the, 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 the game's in front of you to such a large degree. What did it feel like at, at your stage of your golf journey to win your state open? Yeah, it was, it was something that's been on my bucket list for a while. And, um, and coming second last year probably um, hurt more than actually coming second, but it really sort of made me think and want to win it um but when i won it it was i was just so overwhelmed and and after i come down off the the winning high i guess i was just um just so happy and felt some sense of uh, achieved kind of thing but um still it's a good stepping stone at this stage and i guess i just got to reach for better and bigger things do you take time to smell the roses hayden because it's you know, there's a lot of golfers who go through very, very, very long careers who don't have that level of success. Do you make sure that you sort of sit down and go, holy cow, I just won my state open? Yeah, so I had um, about a week and a little bit off golf, but the day after the double open, um, my whole family, me, dad, my granddad, my uncle, sister, mum, we went down um, to the Swan River and we had a nice picnic. We just had some... Uh, fresh rolls and, and whatnot, and it was just a, a good celebratory, um, calming sort of picnic. It was good. <laughs> That's great. Are you getting used to this winning feeling? Obviously, things have been affected because of, you know, coronavirus, but you've won yeah. three of your last five starts, the Tassie Open, the WA Amateur, and now the WA Open. Are you getting used yeah. to this feeling, Hayden? Uh, you'd hope so. <laughs> no, I, I definitely... <laughs> Um, it's, it's definitely good to win a lot because you get um, comfortable in the position and just learning how to win in all sorts of positions has been good and I, f- I feel like it's definitely uh, ticking a few boxes there. 
It's a uh, what do you yeah go on Hazy yep. Oh, sorry, Andy. I, I was just going to ask. Like we've asked a handful of people this question previously um, on the show, Hayden, about the impact on you of the crew of WA Golf coming through because we, we marvel at uh, you know how how it's all coming together from a um, high performance perspective in Perth. And you, you, yep. you know Hayden Barron was second. Your good mate Hayden and the WA State team yeah. uh, teammate. Um, is it pressure? Is it just something, an air of invincibility? What is it? What is it about? Well, how does it feel to you to be part of that sort of echelon? Yeah, it's it's awesome um, knowing that golfers um, that are younger than me are gonna look up to me like I oh, looked up to Min Woo, Curtis, um, even Hayden Barron. He's twenty three. He's a he's a really good golfer himself. Um, but yeah, it's it's great to be along that line of of yeah. I'm looking up to him. I want to be a golfer like him and hopefully continue the, the good run of WA golfers that's, uh, that's been going on. So hopefully kids younger than me can... Um, hopefully I've inspired them to take up the game or, or grind a bit harder, practice more, but um, it just it feels great to be, to be where I am at the moment. So, Hayden, we had Elvis Smiley on the show last week and, um, you know, he wanted to... Capera that week before that and and we asked him about his evolution as a player and and whether distance you know the distance game is you know all consuming and everybody's spending a lot of time talking about it and asked him how focused he was on that and he had his own answer for that are you where are you at with that I mean in terms of you know charting your numbers and and getting to a certain distance and being able to hit at a certain are you are you is that a, a big focus for you? As in, like, how far I can hit it? Yeah, and, and wanting to get to a certain number. Like, are you are you chasing that, or are you just letting your game happen and evolve and, and see where it takes yeah, you before yeah. you start focusing too much on any of that stuff? Yeah, well, um, I would I would say that I'm pretty, pretty strong for my age, um, and in terms of hitting it um, a long way, I... I definitely don't leave uh, anything less than the tank. But, um, yeah, definitely I hit the gym um, twice a week with a personal trainer and then two or three times on my own. And it's definitely, I think that's where golf's heading. So every bit of, le- every bit of length um, definitely can't hurt. Um, but, I'm, yeah, I'm just trying to hit it as far as I can. It's it's the game. Unless somebody does something to change it, it's definitely the way the game's going. In a couple of weeks' time, we're going to be sitting down. I don't know. We, I imagine you'll still be at home, but we're going to be sitting down yeah. to watch um, Bryson DeChambeau take on Augusta with everybody else. Are you? How do you feel about what he's doing to the game and the way that he's approaching things? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question because we've been talking about uh, Bryson a little bit lately. But um, I think I don't I don't mind it. He's seeing it. Um, as far as he can and trying to uh, twist his own ways into fitting into the rules so he can hit it miles. But I think um, coming up at the Masters, he's, he might be a, uh, a rematch, a retake of uh, 97 when Tiger won by 12 or so. But cause he's just going to be hitting it so far at Augusta where it's just taking out the course design and hitting it where there's no trees are. So um, I think he'll do all right. Does this mean we're going to see you maybe at Scarborough sort of doing beach circuits and having protein shakes and trying to whack a few extra kegs on that frame, mate? Eating raw meat, just yeah, eating steaks and hamburgers. 
Yeah, maybe I'm kind of already doing it, but um, <laughs> I, I, I suck off. But uh, nah, I won't be eating as many protein shakes as he does. <laughs> so what's what's your what have you got mapped out in front of you, Hayden? Have you how far down the track are you kind of looking in terms of you know your targets and 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 ambitions? Yep. What, what yeah, where are you at with that? Uh, so I've definitely got a, a goal in mind of how or an idea of how I'm going to sort of transition from amateur pro. Um, but at the moment, in terms of playing as many amateur events as I can, there's there's really nothing for the end of this year. And then COVID, I've got to wait for a schedule. But um, I definitely just want to keep getting my world ranking down and give myself an opportunity to play in the Asia Pacific and US Amateur. Um, like Curtis said, he won um, USM and Asia Pacific and got the starts he needed to do. Uh, in the Masters when he turned pro, but it's definitely, I want to give myself um, a couple cracks at those events, um, so hopefully I can put myself in a similar position, and then I guess we'll go from there. So have you got a time frame that you can tell us about? It sounds like you want to get it through to the end of next year, at least if you're thinking Asia-Pacific amateur. Yeah, well, it's, if things go good, um, 2021, um, I, I play US amateur and Asia-Pacific and uh, possibly have a win. Um, but you just got to take each step in my stride and and map it out as I go. But I've got a fair good idea. Um, if if I don't win Asia Pacific or USM, or just get my rankings down, or you just got to create a good status for yourself, turning into amateur to pro. But it could be anywhere from a year to three years. I, I've got a good impression in my head that there's no rush, and you want to. Um, you, you want to be ready when you turn pro and, and winning events and knowing that you're confident in yourself to do so. That's a pretty sensible approach, Andy, mate. It's, yeah. Yeah, sorry, I interrupted you there. That, apologies. No, I, I just wanted to know, um, have you sort of got some sort of eye on uh, on Elvis Smiley, mate? Just uh, You guys are sort of doing it on opposite sides of the country. Sort of a yeah. showdown coming or at some some point here coming up, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, well, I've uh, I've I've known Elvis for a little bit now. Um, we played we played in Japan together. We travelled together. That was pretty fun. Um, we had a bit of a ding dong at uh, in Cronulla in Sydney for the Junior Sixes. We both got into the final. Um, I managed to I managed to have a win there, um, and then um, we've met each other again at Aussie Open. We had a good time there, so we've uh, we're starting to write a little script there. Well, hey, the rest of us are watching, mate, and we're enjoying it. So uh, there's so many good young players in the country at the moment, boys and girls, that we've got a lot to look forward to, fans of the game. Hey, mate, um, thanks for joining us. Continued success. Um, you, you, the, the, the profile you're putting together is very, very impressive, mate, and um, you are definitely one that we're all keen to see uh, evolve Thanks, and Dave. develop in the next couple of years. Thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Uh, have a good day. See you later. Yeah, Thanks, you too. Dave. You're a good man. Hayden Hopewell, put that one in your black books. and I can't wait to see Hopewell v. Smiley at some stage. Now, that's uh, going to be a bit of fun to watch. A golfing punch-up of extraordinary proportions, Andy. <laughs> Without the punching going on, I suspect, and hope. <laughs> uh, a break here on Inside the Ropes. A few other bits and pieces before we're done. We'll get to that after this. Let's go back Inside the Ropes with Golf Australia. Before we wrap it up, just something that I was thinking about uh, after we said goodbye to Hayden Hopewell, and this is a bit of a recurring theme amongst the younger players, 
and I wonder whether there is a bit of a generational divide here that's um, we that has gone unspoken about on this show, but they don't seem at all concerned, intimidated, uh, insert whatever word you want about DeChambeau and what him and others are doing. They're, they're embracing that completely, these young players. Uh, absolutely. I think that's the best way to put it. Um, and they've been coached to this level. It's, it's new to um, people who consume golf at a PGA Tour level, perhaps. I mean, it's increasing. It's, but it's become slowly more apparent over the last sort of two or three, five years, maybe. But for those who coach um, at an elite level, um, they've been drumming this into their players now for a decade. So mm. um, the, the, one of the things we have heard it before is just learn how to hit it far. We'll figure the rest out later. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think it's of any real concern to these guys to think, you know, that to, to have a 280-yard, 280-metre drive and then go, oh, my God, I need to hit it another 120 yards um, to be competitive internationally because they've grown up expecting to need to hit it well over 300. So mm, mm. Um, if they can't do that, they wouldn't be in this position now. No, and they're, they're not, they don't seem to be worried. They, their notion of, well, if you have to hit it over trees to take out this, and so be it. That's just what you've got to do. And that, and innocently, not, not maliciously at all, but they've got no, they don't care about the course design. I don't care whether they're rendering great courses redundant. It's not, it's not, that's not in their thinking whatsoever. No, which goes back to, you know, that conversation we had about Joe's letter earlier. It's, yeah, it's not yep. up for the players to do anything but get the ball in the hole quicker. And, um, you know, we've mentioned a couple of times here um, through this podcast, um, this specific week, Nathan Barbieri and Jed Morgan, um, Elvis Smiley, um, and now Hayden Hopewell. The four of them are sort of, and I'm missing others, but they're almost at the vanguard of Australian amateur golf on the men's side. Um, they all have these huge power games and zero fear. So, yeah, you know, yeah. it's, a, it's a common element, Andy, for sure. Yep, yep. Um, well, getting the ball in the hole as quickly as possible, it might be a bit hard for people in Melbourne and greater metropolitan area at the moment because we haven't been playing much golf and our games are going to be pretty rusty. But nice to see as the numbers are fantastically low and people in this great state have, by and large, done the right thing, that things are starting to open up. We're back playing golf under restrictions, but we're not sure how long, much longer those restrictions will apply. It looks like they'll, they'll be relaxed pretty quickly, I reckon, given the numbers that are coming out on a daily basis. So there's reason for optimism. We can feel the sun starting to shine. Again, Hazy, it's, um, there's, a, there's a lifting of the, of the depression. We can, um, and I want to make mention of a few things here, Andy. So I want to just give special notice to a guy called John Pereira, who's a keen member at Riversdale, golf club in Melbourne. Um, I think maybe around 10 or 11, 12 sort of handicap for if, if I've got my facts right. But um, as you mentioned, he came back out after lockdown that many, so many people have in Melbourne um, for the past few months. Uh, and this week at Riversdale on the first hole, which is 195 metre par three, his very first shot without a net to warm up in, without a practice range to warm up on, without a Practice green to putt on, Time stood on the first tee at Riversdale and drilled his first shot for 82 days into the hole for a hole in one. So <laughs> I think the sun shined fairly that, brightly on, oh, yeah. on uh, John Pereira's back. That goes okay. What a way to get back into the game. That's magnificent. It is. And just you know, special mention with, with all of Australia sort of getting back online now, online now um, we want to mention that getting into golf um, yep. is Australia's 
adult beginner program to fast track new golfers onto the course. A lot of people have still got a lot of time on their hands here. Uh, and it's just a five week program that teaches the basics in a fun and inclusive environment. It's got four different versions. Um, there's co-gender, which is for everyone, get into golf, women, uh, all abilities and seniors. So if you head to get into head to golf.org.au forward slash get into golf and search for a program near you. If there isn't one close enough yet, please check back because there's more and more coming online uh, as the world of golf opens up for us, uh, which is great. And the same applies to My Golf Andy, um, which is Australia's national introductory program for kids aged 5 to 12, both boys and girls. Uh, it's the ideal way for your child to learn the basics of golf and have a lot of fun along the way. And just a reminder that the programs adhere to COVID safe practices. So head to my, head to golf.org.au forward slash mygolf to find yep. a program near you and your child. Good, excellent stuff and great programs for people to um, access, um, particularly those who are looking to get into the game. Um, mate, good to see you. Um, oh, I've, got more, I've got more, Andy. Oh, have you? Oh, what else have you got for us? Yeah, I've got... I've got ample. You, I've got some stuff well, I'll just here that sit you back won't here. believe. You just do what you got to do, and I'll I'll say goodbye at the end of it all. <laughs> what well, else you got? we mentioned Tony Gresham. We mentioned Tony Gresham a few weeks ago, Andy. Um, yeah. And I just wanted. I had someone point something out to me, and this was just too good not to mention. Um, a shout out to Chris Allen uh, from New South Wales who um, sent me this information. He he wanted to point out Tony Gresham's all-time eclectic score, his best score. At Pennant Hills Golf Club. So, do you want to have a crack at what what his best score might be? Well, okay. Across well, I reckon his it's career. Okay. Well, it'll be better than eighteen under. I'm tipping. So, um, I'm going to say, what's par at Pennant? Is it seventy two? Seventy one at Pennant Hills. Seventy one. So, I'm going to say his all time eclectic would be fifty. Uh, hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Seventy one. Oh, okay. <laughs> Is it? It's got. A, has it got a five in front of it? Uh, no, but it's got a five in it. Oh, go on then. Go on. I'm embarrassed to say it. You, this is what. This is why I'm bringing this to everyone's attention because, as Chris pointed out to me, this is extraordinary. Um, Tony Gresham's all-time eclectic score at Pennant Hills, par seventy-one, is thirty-five. What? So what? <laughs> what? It's an eagle. An eagle on oh, every man. hole except the except the sixth, which is a par three, and he has had an albatross on the twelfth, which is a par five. So his out his best out score is nineteen, and get this, Andy, his best in score is sixteen. Oh, that's there are a insane. total of thirty five. I thought I thought <laughs> I was going to be stupid saying something in the low forties, but oh, that's that's crazy stuff. That's in that's it just... is crazy. At, and, well, and Chris also points out to me, because yeah. we, we've had this rash of crazy things going on, and at the New South Wales Mid-Amateur Championship recently at Tunkurry, um, Keith Shepherd, who's a member at Antill Park, which is just near Picton, had an albatross in the par 5 11th hole. So well done to, uh, to Keith as well. And I did want to mention, last week you guys did a great story, Andy, uh, with Owen Wells from the Gunnadar oh, yeah. um, about, about his career. His career. Um, slam. I guess, what would you say? Career slam. Grand slam. Is, yeah. Yeah. Well, I've got a story that's different but sort of equally amazing, um, Andy, this week from a, a woman who's a member. In fact, she's the captain at Kumiella, which is in New South Wales but right near Mildura, uh, um, up in the, I guess, the, the far southwest of, of New South Wales, right near Mildura and the Victorian border there. Um, so she started this year 
um, by having an ace. On, I'm just checking this out. On the 7th at Kumiella on February the 22nd, Andy. Mm-hmm. So he then had one on the 11th on May 24. Then got shut down because of COVID restrictions and was unable to get across. She lives in Victoria, but was unable to get across to play at her own yeah. home club at Kumiella. Yeah, right. Joined at Riverside in Mildura. And on September the 13th, had an ace on the 18th for a third hole in one what in six shame. months, basically. That's, How about that for Lee, Lee Bottomley? So that's Lee Bottomley. Oh, um, Lee, that's awesome. Phenomenal. Share them around. Stop being so I, greedy. Share them around a bit for us, will you, Lee? Uh, oh, I know people stuff. who that's going to make absolutely wild, Andy, because they can't have one, and she's just rolling them in. And she says, she said to us, it's a bit surreal because I hate par threes. Well, you know, not I don't anymore, know about she that. Doesn't. No, no, not anymore. No. And, and now, Andy, this is the last. Um, it was two two things I've got to go here. One is um, something that you and I need to get on, as we've said millions of times. Uh, the Outback Queensland Masters. Oh yeah. Was which was postponed this year and it's going to be back bigger and better next year. One has won a big award, Andy. It's the uh, best new event at the Australian Event Awards. So it's been really well received. Um, And that beat out a whole heap of competitors to win that award and it's great. And I just want to point out to people that if they go to the website, uh, which is outbackqldmasters.com, the tickets are selling like hotcakes apparently. And I mean that for... Uh, for 2021 and they're going really quick and if you want to get into it um, you probably want to do it sooner than later and I just the itinerary it's through June and July of 2021 and the locations are Biloela, Charleville, Quilpie, Blackall, Hewenden and Longreach and Andy every time I mention this over the next few months I'm going to bring you a special bit of trivia I want you to tell me what um, Blackall is famous for oh, any idea one. what Blackall might be famous uh, for? No, no it's the, it's the home of Jackie Howe, the world's greatest blade shearer, who shore 321 sheep in seven hours and 40 minutes in 1892, and it's still a world record for hand shearing. <laughs> See, that is the stuff that we should know, and I'm embarrassed that we don't, <laughs> um, living in this great nation of ours. All right, I'm looking forward to that, uh, little, just... that little piece of... Um, a little piece of trivia for us each week as we promote this. It'll be good. Well, we won't do it every week, but every time we mention the Outback yeah, Queensland good. Masters, we'll, we'll, right. I'll come up with something for you. And one last thing from me, Andy, is next week, I can't tell you too much now, but we're going to have a special Masters competition. We obviously talked to Scott Michelle a bit earlier. Uh, next week, we'll reveal a special competition we're running during Masters week. I can't say too much more other than don't miss next week's show and you'll hear about it all here first on Inside the Ropes. Oh, that sounds a little bit tantalising, so I'll look forward to finding out a bit more about that myself. Uh, until then, uh, good to see you. That has been. I'm allowed to say goodbye now or have you got more to come? You, that is it. No, you're right. all clear <laughs> That is F187 in the bag. Thanks for being part of it. Good to see you again, Hazy. We'll do it again next week. Uh, this has been Inside the Ropes. Thanks, Murray.